Isn't it great this morning as we think about um, the gifts that God has given to each one of us to be able to um, see all the students demonstrating the gifts that God's given to them. So thanks guys. I hope it's been a real blessing to all of you today. Okay, I wonder as we begin what you think about this quote. Um, A quote from an article I read about Christian community and isolation within that. So it says... Our high-tech environment reinforces isolation by enabling us to replace face-to-face human contact with emailing, texting, telebanking, shopping online, spending more time on social media than with friends in person, and even watching worship services online instead of attending them. Because of the pervasive influence of social media and other forms of technology, For the first time in history, personal interaction with others can become practically unnecessary. Many people may drive to church alone, fail to interact with others in the congregation, listen to the sermon, and then drive home alone or with just their family. And that's the extent of their church life until the next weekend. They don't reach out to, relate to, or do life together with others. I wonder what you think of that. Well, whether or not that quote resonates with your personal experience, I think maybe that all of us need to accept, at least to some extent, that this is um, the the description of the culture that we're now becoming increasingly so at a very, very fast pace. Now, I'm a big fan of the internet personally. Dan will tell you I spend a lot of time on it. Um, And I love all that technology has to offer to us. But I certainly see the effect um, that my use of social media is having on my personal, meaningful, face-to-face interaction with other Christians. And it's not always a good thing. Some of it is, but it's not always. Anyway, so here at Portswood, we've been going through an exciting series on the ascension of Jesus over the last few weeks. And we're continuing with that today. So what on earth does that quote and what I've just said got to do with the fact that after Jesus died, he he rose again and then he ascended into heaven and he's... ...do with all of that about Christian community. Well, our Bible passage today gets very practical about our calling as Christians and how we're to live among one another and in the world around us. And significantly, it links that very closely with the ascension of Jesus Christ. We're going to be looking in Ephesians 4 today, so you can be starting to flick that up. And the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians wonderfully details God's plan for reconciling the whole universe to himself through Jesus Christ. So the letter's cosmic in its scope, yet deeply practical in addressing the part that the church, the people of God, have to play in his purposes. And chapter 4 begins with Paul urging Christians to live a life worthy of their calling by God to be his people. And it's clear in those verses that we're to operate together as community. Take a look at verses 3 to 6, which say, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. 
So unity among Christians is crucial to the effective functioning of the church as God intends. But as we'll go on to see, um, within that overarching unity, we have diversity among the people. Let's see how. Um, One of our students, Claire, is going to come and read the passage to us. Ephesians 4, verses 7 to 13, which is page 1175. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens, in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and became, become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Great. Thanks very much, Claire. So what we're going to see is that this passage tells us that because Jesus conquered and is now ascended on high, he is now working towards the point where he's going to fill the whole universe. And, and in his generosity, he invites us to take part in that work by giving us gifts. And we're going to unpack what that means by looking at three things about the gifts that Jesus gives to us. So firstly, the gifts he gives are gifts from a king. We're going to be looking in verses 7 to 10 at the moment. So we begin here in verse 7, seeing the generosity of Jesus to us. It says that to each one of us, grace has been given. Now, experts in Greek, um, which isn't me, but the ones I've read about, tend to agree that the word grace here is referring to the idea of grace in the form of gifts. So basically, we're talking about um, he has given gifts to each one of us. That is, um, abilities that God's given to us all to, to serve, to minister to one another in the church. And Jesus has given these gifts to each one of us according to how he has decided to apportion them, which means... That among Christians, there are many gifts, um, and we've all been given gifts, but not, we don't all have all of the gifts, so no one here has all of the gifts. We're diverse in our abilities, and that's because Jesus has made it so. But before, but before Paul starts explaining a bit more about how we're to use our gifts, he quotes from the Old Testament. And this isn't something that we should skip over because what he has to say here is really important to how we view our gifts. It's all about grasping the bigger picture that we're, that we're part of. And bigger pictures have an impact on how we live and think and serve. Over 5,000 people worked on the project of constructing the 2012 Olympic Stadium. Here it is in its process of being built. Now, each person would have had their skill, which was necessary for bringing the whole project together. And I reckon it's surely quite a cool thing to say that you were involved in the construction or in the project of putting together the Olympic Stadium, because it means that you were part of something that was really exciting and big and significant for our country. But imagine your job had been to um, calculate and order the number of bolts that were needed to bolt down all the chairs. 
If you took your eyes off the fact that you were working on the Olympic Stadium, you may be tempted to think that your job was just a little bit boring, not very significant or important. But if you were able to grasp the enormity and the magnificence of the project you were working on, and to understand that your job is a crucial part of it, then you would work, whole, you'd work really hard at your vault ordering job, and you'd be excited about it. Because you see um, the bigger picture and you'd celebrate the part you had in that. So the bigger picture gives us perspective. I think that's something like um, what we need to do when we consider the gifts that have been given to each of us to serve the body of Christ, the church. We need to, um, to zoom out of our own little world, if you like, and see the bigger picture. And Paul helps us to do that in verse 8. After telling us that Jesus has given gifts to each one of us, Paul says in um, in verse 8, this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. He's quoting here from Psalm 68 in the Old Testament. And as is always the case when New Testament writers quote from the Old Testament, there are layers of meaning here. So um, David, who wrote Psalm 68, was probably referring back to events and using things from the time of Moses. And now Paul takes what David says and he um, applies them right now into the situation he's in. And he is saying... Um, This quote is actually about Jesus, and he can do that. He can apply it to Jesus, because the whole of the Old Testament is ultimately about Jesus, because it's the narrative of God's big plan, and and Jesus is the fulfillment of that big plan. So we're going to go with Paul, and we're going to apply this quote to Jesus, which then makes it mean that Jesus has the authority and the power to give out gifts to all his people because he ascended on high and won a mighty victory over his enemies. And then Paul gives us a great little aside in verses 9 and 10. He says, what does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Well, this reminds us that Christ's mighty victory only came about because he first descended, coming to this earth from heaven to humble himself as our servant before suffering a humiliating death on our behalf, a death that we deserved, not him. Death that made it actually look like he had been defeated, but was in actual fact part of God's big picture plan for the universe. Christ's descension and humiliation resulted in victory as he rose to life and burst out of the grave and has now ascended alive on high. He's higher than all heavens. Jesus has won the biggest victory in the history of the universe. And Paul says that we are now heading to a time when God's plan will come to completion and Jesus will fill the universe, reigning with no more enemies at large ever. We're going to think a bit more about that point a bit later. But what we need to grasp right now is that Jesus has given gifts to his people so that we can participate in bringing God's glorious cosmic plan to its completion. Jesus has brought us on board into his mission 
And that is simply phenomenal and should have major consequences for how we view our gifts. I wonder if some of us are in danger of being like an Olympic Stadium construction worker who hasn't grasped the big picture of the project, so simply shrugs their shoulders at the significance of their job. Do we shrug our shoulders at the gifts that Jesus has given to us because we don't focus on the big picture of Jesus' victory? These verses speak to us about the significance of each of our gifts. And they should also speak to anyone who doesn't think that they've been given gifts and abilities to serve the church and take part in God's kingdom work. Look again at what it says in verse 7. To each one of us, gifts have been given. Every single follower of Jesus Christ has been given gifts. His generosity means that no one is left out. So do you know what your gifts are? Because discovering your spiritual gifts is an important step to um, being able to effectively play your part in the mission of Jesus to bring his kingdom to completion. I think sometimes we can maybe be a little bit mystical about seeking to discover our, our gifts, but it really shouldn't be too complicated. Because remember, Jesus has gener- generously given them to us in order to use them. So I don't think it should be that difficult to discover them. Looking up passages such as Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 12 are a good place to start as they give a list of various gifts that Jesus has given. They're referred to in those passages of gifts of the Spirit because it's Jesus' Holy Spirit living in each of us that empowers us to use our gifts. It may be that as you read those lists in your own time, it's obvious to you what your gifts are as you see yourself in one or two or three of the gifts. But remember, no one has all the gifts. So don't think that you should be aiming for all of those things. Or think about where you find yourself most naturally serving and doing things. In what ways have people encouraged you? You really engage so well with young people. You're so efficient at organizing things. Or, you know, you just encourage me so much. You always have the right words to say to me and to my situation. Most people who are confident over what their gifts are would say it's a combination of doing the things that come naturally to them and then people pointing out that they're good at that, encouraging them in those things. So why not chat to each other afterwards about this? Ask, what are your gifts? How did you discover them? What do you think are my gifts? Let's help, um, let's help each other out with this. It's a great thing to do. There shouldn't be um, a place within the church for rivalry or envy over what our gifts are or putting down our own gifts because we're comparing with somebody else and thinking they're so much better. That would be flying in the face of Jesus' generosity to each one of us in giving us gifts. And that would be making it about ourselves rather than about him. We've all got different gifts. And we're to use them for the same purpose. So different gifts, but the same purpose as we're going to continue to see in a moment. So trust that you and and all the Christians sitting around you here have been given gifts. And remember to make sure that you're always zooming out and placing your gifts in the context of the bigger picture. So that you don't just shrug your shoulders at your gifts. So we have gifts from a king, but we also have gifts to be shared in verses 11 and 12. So the gifts that we've been given, they're not just simply to keep to ourselves, but they're for the building up of the body of Christ, the church. 
If we're going to use our gifts effectively, then we need to share them because that's how God intends them to be played out in his big picture plan. So Paul tells us here how it all works. And he says that we've got gifted leaders and we've got gifted members. In verse 11, he gives us five different roles that Jesus has created. People who he's given to the church basically to lead. We haven't got time this morning to go into each of those five functions there. But what we are told and what we're going to look at today is that they're given to us in order to equip everyone else for works of service. Now, this is very generous of Jesus. You see, he hasn't just poured out gifts on us and said, all right, then go and get on with it. He's given us teachers and leaders. A school pupil might discover that they're really gifted in their um, French language class and that they pick it up really easily. They'd be pretty alarmed, wouldn't they, if the teacher said on after a couple of weeks, go on then, go and work for a translation company and just um, go and get on with it. No, because they're gifted, but they still need a teacher to, to learn and grow and to develop that gift they've got. We've all been given spiritual gifts, but that doesn't mean that we automatically know how to go and use them and put them into practice in the church. And all of us have more to learn. We never really reach that stage of perfection in using our gifts. So in his wisdom and his generosity, Jesus has organized the church in such a way that we have teachers to help us grow, who equip us so that each one of us can serve and use our gifts effectively. And why has he done that? See, it says, so that the body may be built up, verse 12. We serve together so that we grow together in maturity and unity of faith. And hopefully also growth in numbers as people come in. Because surely if we've been given in that list of people who equip us, if we've been given evangelists, then surely their job is to equip us in the work of going and reaching out. So it's both being growing internally together in the faith, but also growing in that we bring more people into his kingdom. This is how we, this is how we should view things this is how it should shape our view of the church so um my little diagrams that go in my on in my head here when I think of this it's not like this um or up there for you that we have the super gifted spiritual people at the top they've got stars over their head because they are gifted and it's not that they are there serving the rest of the people through sermons or organizing events for them or doing all the pastoral visits or whatever it may be And then the rest of the people just sit there receiving passively as they do that. That would basically be just leaders ministering out with um, everyone else receiving. Instead, Jesus intends church to function more like this one. Pretty busy diagram going on here. Um, But this is a case of everybody using their gifts to serve one another for the building up of the whole body. So in this picture, I've put the leaders among the people with a purpose of equipping people Um, and equipping everybody else to do the serving and in fact in that the the arrows are going to the leaders as well because they also need us to minister to them because remember nobody has all the gifts so our leaders need to benefit from our gifts as well so are we thankful for our leaders taking what they do not simply to receive and just just grow or learn a little bit more but also using their teaching and all the other ways that they minister to build up and develop our gifts so that we can also minister. 
This is every member ministry, and it's how Jesus intends us to function. We need each and every one of us so that we can be built up as the body of Christ. And we deprive, each, we deprive others when we don't play our part. It's really not arrogant to believe that because, um, well, it would only be arrogant if we were like, yes, these gifts come from myself. But they're not. They're given by Jesus in order to help the church grow. So it's not arrogant to say, people need my gifts as much as I need theirs. Later in chapter 4, verse 16, Paul makes it clear that this is how we love each other. Because it says, from him, Jesus, the whole body, joined together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I wonder if this is particularly a challenge for us in the times that we live in. And I want to just draw our attention back to the quote that I read at the start. Remember, it was about... Um, how the wonders of technology and social media can have the negative impact of decreasing our face-to-face interactions with people. It said, for the first time in history, personal interaction with others can become practically unnecessary. Church is no different for some. They don't reach out to, relate to, or do life together with others. I don't think that the situation is that drastic here in Portswood, although for some it might be, I don't know. But we need to be very aware of the implications that this growing culture could have on churches, on our church, and on the model of every member ministry. And this may be particularly challenging for our young people at school and college and even university who haven't known a world without internet and phones um, and social media and the growing number of apps that that overwhelm us and we can't keep up with. Things have changed very fast, and the reality is that it's, it's very hard to use our gifts to their full potential behind screens. Of course we can comfort somebody through a text message, but surely it's much more effective to sit and cry with them in person. It can be very helpful to go onto an anonymous online forum to chat through a problem that we have. But we're missing out then, aren't we, on the joy of having somebody else within our fellowship walking with us through that problem and praying with us together about it. We're blessed with so much access to biblical teaching online, and I love to listen to talks online, but that must never replace the ministry of our leaders here who know us and so are seeking to equip us um, in a way that is relevant for us here right here in our context and in the community that we live. We should be seeking to be equipped by then so that we're ready for that work. We need each other's gifts and they need ours. And the world will see Christ when we operate in that way. And students and young people, just just think about what if you were radically different to your peer group and you refused to let face-to-face interaction take the place of time spent in person actually serving their needs with them. I reckon that would speak volumes and would hold out the light and the love of Christ in a way that our younger generations so desperately need at the moment. Yes, all of this takes more time and effort, but the Christian life isn't meant to be effortless. In the Romans passage about gifts, we're told to offer ourselves as living sacrifices for the church to be the way that God intends Sacrifice is needed. But this is where the big picture is important again. 
It's going to be a whole lot harder and far less meaningful if we have a tiny view of the ascension of Christ and all that it means for us. So for our final point, we're going to just zoom out again to think more about the glorious goal of using our gifts for Christ. So we have gifts from a king, gifts to be shared, and they're also gifts with a goal. One thing that I'm convinced of in this life is that we're all tired, whether from exams or parenting or illness or old age or our work life, we're all tired. And I'm convinced of that because so often when I ask people how they are, they're like, yeah, I'm fine, really tired, but yeah, I'm okay. And isn't that the answer that we so often give and find? Well, of course we're tired because we live in a fallen world and it's a world that is tough, full of challenges. So some of you will be sitting here right now in a season of life where you think, frankly, you do just want to come to church and receive. That the first diagram that I showed is, is, is what you want. That's more attractive to you at the moment because you feel you have no capacity to give anything else. Well, firstly, I would say to you that you're probably already using your gifts in the areas of life that are making you so tired. Your home, your neighborhood, your workplace. So be encouraged by that. We're whole of life disciples. And using our gifts isn't simply about being involved in church activities. It's about um, using our gifts in a more broader sense in order to build the church up. So it's likely that you're already engaged in using your gifts. But this passage and others in the Bible that speak about the church suggests that our gifts are not just to be limited to our own immediate situations, like our own immediate family situation or, or, or yeah, whatever, but they're to be used more widely for the benefit of the church. So that's the challenge to us. The extent to which that happens might look different according to our season of life, but it does need to happen. And I, I think that's for our leaders here at Portswood to um, talk about what that looks like here, not for me to do that. So I want to um, draw our focus now on to how maybe we can just keep going and using our gifts, especially when we're so busy and tired. So um, verse 13 here implies that the ministry of each one of us is to be continuous because we're working towards a goal. Look at verse 13. It says, we're to serve until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. But we haven't reached that goal yet. No Christian has. No church has. In the first point, I touched on the fact that the full extent of Jesus' reign, when he'll fill the universe with no enemies and no opposition, hasn't yet happened. And that when we use our gifts, we're participating in bringing about this plan to completion. And now in this verse, the focus is, 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 is basically on what that completion means for us. And I hope this is what will keep us going as we, as we seek to use our gifts. We have a goal that we're working towards. So this is about zooming out again and seeing that big picture. We must use our gifts to build one another up to unity and maturity because we're headed somewhere. And that is in the direction of receiving the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, the one who's ascended and is seated on the throne of victory. So what does that mean? Well, in one sense, Christians have already been given fullness in Christ. 
The letter of Colossians helps us with this. Chapter 2, verse 10 says, In Christ you have been brought to fullness. And then in verses 13 and 14, um, we see what that means. It says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your hearts, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. This is the fullness that we have now. God has made us alive with Christ when once we were spiritually dead, when once we had like a written out IOU list of things to God that was never ending. And that meant we stood condemned. But Jesus has taken all of that to the cross with him. Our debts were nailed there as he was so that we could be alive with him. That is the fullness that we have now. If you are in Christ, you're alive with him now with nothing to condemn you. But it's going to get even better. The whole measure of the fullness of Christ is something we're yet to experience because that will happen when Jesus returns again in glory when the victory that he's achieved will be seen and known in its fullest sense, as all wickedness and suffering will finally be done away with, when there'll be a glorious new heaven and earth, and the body of Christ, the church, us, will be raised with him to a life of unimaginable joy in the presence of Jesus, our saviour and our conquering king. That's where we're headed in this plan of Jesus filling the entire universe. That's what it's all about. That's why we get involved in works of service to build up the body of Christ because we're preparing for that goal and we need to mature in order to be ready. This is what we need to grasp and believe if we're going to keep going in that ministry that he has given to each one of us. This is what we can hold on to when we're feeling tired or unappreciated or or if we're wanting to get caught up in that individualistic um, life away from the church and all all the messiness it can bring. I knew that was going to happen at some point. (laughs) The rest of the world needs to see that Christ is the ascended king and is going to fill the universe. And Jesus has chosen to use the church to show them this. So we need to function in the way he intends us to. We're in this together, not as individuals who can turn up to church and just receive and then go away again for another week, but as the body of Christ that needs each and every one of us to be using the gifts that the ascended King Jesus has so generously given to us for each other's benefit so that together we can attain this glorious goal of fullness in the presence of our Savior, Jesus Christ, forever. I don't have um, an easy solution of how we, we take that knowledge and then, and then apply that to, to keep going. But I wonder if it's simply a case of just getting on with it and using our gifts to attain that goal. You know, if you, if you start an exercise program because you've got a goal in mind, it's very difficult and it takes discipline at the start and it's hard work. But as you get fitter, you begin to see the benefits. So you keep going and you start to enjoy it because you've always got that goal in mind. As we use our gifts in service to one another, we will be blessed and our communities will be blessed as they see the body of Christ working together in love and more people coming into the kingdom who can also attain that goal. So as I finish, I want to say to anyone here who is not yet a Christian that we're not perfect in all of this. 
We Christians, we muddle along and get it wrong. But I want to encourage you to look at Jesus and all that he's done for us and is continuing to do for us. Do you want to attain that goal of reaching the whole measure of the fullness of Christ? If so, call out to him as your saviour and king and join with us as we seek to grow as his people in community together, serving one another so that together we reach fullness in Christ. And for the rest of us, let's be asking, do I know what my gifts are? Am I using my gifts to build up my brothers and sisters in Christ? Am I seeking to grow and develop my gifts as I look to my leaders to equip me? Am I failing to zoom out of my own situation, shrugging my shoulders at the gifts I've so generously been given? Or rather, am I keeping the bigger picture of my ascended King Jesus and the completion of his kingdom in view as I serve? So let's be doing this together as God intends it. Let's just pray.